0: good news good news good news we like to say it in triplicate there kind of a trinitarian thing on good news friday today here on the bottom line i'm roger marsh we have good news about preventing problems we have good news about people who are brought to justice uh and rightfully so and not in a rejoicing ha ha ho ho type of way but let's face it when godly justice is brought to light we rejoice and uh, i think the people rejoice when there are good and godly leaders running our countries then the scriptures tell us that we do rejoice over that. And the idea that we have a system of government that actually make things work the right way um, is good news. And we also applaud people who take a stand for things that aren't popular in the culture right now. So this whole first hour is going to be good news regarding the popular culture and people taking a stand for what is biblical, but not always common in the culture. And uh, this first story here is one. I don't typically do good news stories about people who wind up in jail. Um, Not going to lie. But at the same time, this is a story that we covered here on the Bottom Line Show. And we were like everybody else in the media when when we reported on it initially. And what a nice turn of events it seemed to be. And then all of a sudden, it seemed like it was too good to be true. And then eventually, it turned out to be too good to be true. Then we were like everyone else, we were outraged. Unlike many people in the media, and I, and I mean this with all due respect to the men and women who also work in the media as well. Um, when we get something right, we should be rejoicing over the fact that we reported it accurately and fairly, and you as a listener or a reader or a viewer should be able to decide for yourself. This, we talk about the analysis, balance and clarity part, of any story. The analysis, get as many different viewpoints as you can. Balance, make sure they are different sides of the issue so you don't just keep uh, putting yourself in that wind tunnel, uh, that echo chamber, if you will, that all, always agrees with you. Be strong enough in your own beliefs and convictions to read or hear an opinion outside of what you would typically get and then be able to defend it, to offer to give literally an apologetic. I mean, in our culture today, an apologist is somebody, ostensibly, who can give a defense for the Christian faith. But any apology, if you look at the, uh, the, the root of the word, and again, I'm, I'm surmising here, if you hear any sort of what is called, referred to as polemic debate, uh, polemic just literally means an argument or a debate or discussion. Apology literally means you're giving it without any sort of passion. You're not necessarily debating the issue, you're just presenting the issue. You're giving an explanation. And in our culture, how many I mean, I'm 61 years old in a couple of weeks. How many of us grew up in a culture where you hear the word apology and the first thing you think of is, I'm supposed to say what? I'm sorry. Well, let's give an explanation. I mean, I can I can give you an apology for this next story, that <laughs> and the reason why I think it's good news is because I, like just about everybody else in America, was lured in with the story of a woman from New Jersey, Caitlin McClure who went national with a story where she uh, there was a picture of her and a a guy uh, we were told was a homeless man called Johnny Bobbitt Jr. She was driving along Interstate 95 and was stranded. She'd run out of gas and because she was stranded um, didn't have any money with her. um, She allegedly was confronted by Mr. Bobbitt And as a homeless guy, he'd been doing some panhandling, and he had collected about 20 bucks. And he saw this woman on the road in distress and gave her the last $20 that he had. Then uh, Caitlin McClure and her boyfriend at the time, a guy called Mark D'Amico, posted on social media about the good deed that this guy had done. And they showed a picture of, uh, you can see Caitlin McClure, she's smiling, she's standing next to this guy, Johnny Bobbitt Jr., And they said, hey, check this out. What a wonderful thing this guy did. This homeless guy saw that I was in distress, just me out there on the side of the road. And um, he gave me his last 20 bucks. Now, um, there are a couple things about the story that seemed too good to be true. And a couple other parts of the story that, well, uh, didn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, What happened next was then when the story went viral, someone set up a GoFundMe campaign. And they wound up, uh, you know, wanting to. Uh, it was I just sorry, I had to click over here really quickly to make sure it was, in fact, GoFundMe. Um, people wanted to help this homeless guy out. And so uh, Jessica Caitlin McClure and Mark D'Amico uh, helped to organize this GoFundMe thing for Johnny Bobbitt Jr. And the story went viral, as they say. 14,000 people made contributions to this fund for this guy. Um, after GoFundMe fees and other fees to get stuff set up, there was approximately $367,000 that was given to this homeless guy. And it's a feel-good story. We love stories like that. We hear stories of people like uh, Aaron and Melissa Klein with uh, Sweet Cakes by Melissa winding up facing uh legal challenges and what do we do they set up a gofundme account hey they're going to have to pay $135,000 in legal fees people surround them they pay the money or think of a musician or an actor years ago a guy who's the second guitar player and backup vocalist for the christian metal band striper his name is oz fox that's his performance name i think his actual given name at birth is richard martinez and by the way Oz and I have the distinction. We've only met once backstage at a concert, but uh, uh, he and I were both born in Whittier, California. Not only were we born in in the same uh, state, in the same city, uh, we were born at the same hospital about two and a half months apart from each other. Oz was actually born on my dad's 28th birthday at East Whittier Presbyterian Hospital, June the 18th, 1961. And then I showed up a few weeks later. Oz had uh, he's had a whole series of issues with uh, he's had some tumors and some vision issues had to have some major surgery so is his wife Annie Lobert and I don't think either one of them have like a really great health insurance plan so they've gone on GoFundMe and asked hey can you help us cover medical bills and stuff like that and people give the money so when you saw this story five years ago and we must be a lot more (laughs) jaded as a nation now than we were before uh Caitlin McClure uh from Burlington County uh New Jersey uh, goes online, uh, picture that her uh, then-boyfriend Mark D'Amico posted about a good deed conducted by this uh, this homeless guy, Johnny Bobbitt Jr., <clears throat> and there's a picture of the two of them by, by 95. He allegedly gave her his last 20 bucks. Hey, can we set up an, an account? For this guy. So 14,000 people across the country donate nearly $400,000 by the time fees and everything were taken out. There was around $367,000 to distribute. And most people gave to that account thinking the, this couple was going to give the money to Johnny Bobbitt Jr. But then it turned out that uh, that wasn't exactly the case. Uh, then Johnny Bobbitt Jr. received headlines when he actually contacted an attorney and said, "Um, you know what, here's the deal. Uh, I didn't get the $400,000. I didn't get the $367,000. As a matter of fact, I got about 75 grand. And I'd like to know what happened to the rest of the money. Now that sounds like a fair exchange, doesn't it? I mean, he does a good deed. They set up the account. I'm sure some people would say, oh, come on. I mean, come on, man, you're homeless, right? So you got 75 grand instead of 367000 So what? That 75 grand, you don't have to pay taxes on, you can get your life together. And again, I'll be honest with you, if I were with nothing, walking the street, and people handed, if someone handed me a check for $75,000, I may not know where to start with that. I would need good counsel. I'd need a Dennis Wilson. I would need a Stephanie Cover. I would need the people that you hear here on the Bottom Line Show. Who can help you with money and legal things and stuff like that? You can find all their info at gaybrightradio.com, by the way. But Mr. Bobbitt raised a very interesting question. He said, Look, they raised all this money. I only got 75 grand. What happened to the rest of it? So he took civil action against Mark D'Amico and Caitlin McClure. Now, he didn't file criminal charges like they stole the money from him. He filed, a, you know, his civil rights had been violated because this money ostensibly had been raised for him and he had only received about a third of it or maybe even a quarter of it. Well, that's when prosecutors began to do a little due diligence and they began to find out where that money actually went. They found out that the money didn't go all to Mr. Bobbitt, that it wasn't set up in some trust fund, He was going to actually went to the purchase of a new BMW and a New Year's Day trip to Vegas and some gambling debts that were rung up and also uh, Louis Vuitton handbags and other high end issues. As it turned out, what Mr. Bobbitt was trying to do was to get his co conspirators in a huge online social media scam to come clean with his share of the money. It turns out the good deed was no good deed at all. It was all a scam. So why are we talking about it on Good News Friday? Well, the scam operators have now been brought to justice. And I'll tell you why that's important coming up next as the bottom line continues. Stephanie Cover of Cover Law has a reputation for excellence, not just among previous clients, but also among colleagues. I'm an attorney. I've had clients that have issues in the area that Stephanie works in, and she's my first referral source. First of all, the area that she works in is an area where it's not that easy to find attorneys that I feel comfortable with. I think she has a lot of empathy, which helps because sometimes we attorneys don't have as much as we should have. She's extremely detail-oriented. She's very conscientious and just does a really kind of exceptional, almost overboard job in in preparing cases. I've never had anybody come back with any negative comments. Everybody's been very happy with, you know, her professionalism and the way that she approaches cases. Choose the personal injury attorney with personal integrity. Stephanie Cover of Cover Law, 877-214-4935. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and it's good news that the perpetrators of a crime who played upon the sympathies of the public have actually been brought to justice, well, at least one of them. Do you remember back in 2017, we shared with you here on the Bottom Line Story, a show about uh, a young couple who said there was a picture of uh, a young woman, mid-20s it looked like, and a guy who was homeless, and this poor gal, Caitlin McClure, Ran out of gas on Interstate 95 in Philadelphia. She's from New Jersey. She's trying to get home. They meet this homeless guy, or she does, uh, Johnny Bobbitt Jr. Apparently, he gave her his final 20 bucks to use for gas. And so she and her boyfriend at the time, Mark D'Amico, posted a picture and a good deed to this guy. And, hey, why don't we raise some money for this guy on social media? So they they did. They started a uh, social media fundraiser on GoFundMe and wound up raising almost $400,000 and feel good story the end right well not necessarily right or what, what's the uh, i don't is it in the uh, fiddler on the roof right of course right yeah. but the, the all is not as seem in this case it turned out this was not a random chance meeting on a freeway it turns out that mark d'amico and caitlin mcclure actually met john bobbitt about a month earlier um, he was, in fact, living on the street. He was at an off-ramp near a casino in New Jersey. And basically, when prosecutors started looking, what happened was Johnny Bobbitt Jr. got $75,000 of the nearly 400000 he was promised on the GoFundMe account. When he asked for more money, he d- was denied the money. So he filed a civil lawsuit against Mark D'Amico and Caitlin McClure and said, where's the rest of my money? So then, it, well, is the couple withholding the money from this poor guy? Well, it turns out they weren't withholding the money from this poor guy. The three of them were all in on it together. Um, it's very, very interesting because once uh, Burlington County Prosecutor Scott Kafina was the guy who led the investigation. He said, apparently the couple met Mr. Bobbitt at an off-ramp near a casino about a month before the campaign went live investigators reviewed the text that the couple sent discussing the scam and the fact that they had money troubles. And apparently when they were sharing this idea with some of their friends, Caitlin McClure sent a text to one of her friends said, okay, so yeah, the gas part is completely made up, but the guy isn't, he really is homeless. But I had to make something up to make people feel bad and feel sorry for him. As a result, prosecutors started digging to find out what happened to the rest of the $367,000, and they discovered that Mark D'Amico and Caitlin McClure decided to treat themselves to a Vegas vacation for New Year's that year. And they did so in the brand new BMW that they bought with this and some gambling. Well, you're in Vegas, you got to gamble, right? And then in New Jersey, the casino's there too. They bought some Louis Vuitton bags for her and some other items. And uh, yeah, they did give John Bobbitt uh, Jr. $75,000, but that was basically because he was the bait in this scam. So prosecutors went a little lenient on him because he's the one who finally cracked first. He blew the whistle on this. Uh, He pleaded guilty to a conspiracy to commit theft by deception, in 2019, he was sentenced to five years probation uh, that includes drug treatment. And in all honesty, it sounds like that may have been something that was actually beneficial to John Bob Johnny Bobbitt Jr. Mark D'Amico also pleaded guilty and is currently serving a five-year term in New Jersey State Prison. That started in 2019, so he'll be out in a couple of years. And of course, he has to pay back his share of the GoFundMe fund. But Caitlyn McClure, though, has been a very interesting situation because she's been fighting this case, and she's been fighting it from the standpoint of, "Hey, this was Mark's idea; it wasn't mine." And I, you know, he was my boyfriend. Uh, I got I got roped into this thing. I mean, we were we needed money. We were we were we were broken. We just needed money. And so finally, last Thursday, Caitlin McClure did in fact enter a guilty plea to one count of theft by deception in the second degree. She will only serve one year and one day in prison for her role in the scam. She will have to pay her share of the restitution. She and Mr. D'Amico are on the hook for about 400 grand. And she will have to serve what they call three years of supervised release. I believe they call that probation, according to court documents. Now, I, we shouldn't be celebrating the fact that anybody committed a crime. I mean, that, that's just, it's horrible, and it happens in this culture, and, and we get it. But the reason I wanted to bring this up is because there are so many times, and we read about this in the Psalms a lot. You know, How many times do you read one of those Psalms of David where he says, Lord, how long will my enemies prosper, and I'm getting hammered? It's just, it's not fair, it's not right, and I just don't like it. And there's a part of us that has all been on the receiving end of that one person who seems to, quote unquote, get away with anything. And when it comes down to it, we're the ones left holding the bag. And every now and again, we just want to know that the system works, that justice will be done and served, and that the bad guys won't get away with it. And in this case, if you look at Johnny, I was looking at the news story from CNN back in 2017, and I found it very, very interesting to note that here was Caitlin McClure with a picture of Johnny Bobbitt Jr. standing by the side of the road, and he's looking pretty homeless at this time. Apparently, that's where one of the places where he did kind of hang out. But I'm looking at the picture, and I'm asking myself the question. There's a picture of the two of them together, and then she got gas, and et cetera, et cetera. My question is, who took the picture? Her positioning with her hands and her arms and stuff like that makes it look like, to me, someone else took the picture of these two. And why did they just leave him on the street? I mean, if he did a good deed and they knew this much about this guy, why did they just leave him on the road? Hey, Johnny's going to be living on the off ramp on I-95, but if we don't get some, if we get some money in, then we can get him a house. We can get him help. Turned out the guy did have a drug addiction problem and part of his probation is he's in a drug treatment program for this. And he's been in that for three years now. I'm hoping that he's walking the straight and narrow. But the idea that Mark D'Amico and Caitlin McClure just decided to make up a charity here, a charity case, and the charity cause was them. Boy, it's frustrating when that happens, but isn't it nice to know when justice does in fact prevail? We've got a link for this story up at bottomlineshow.com. As we continue, there's a lot of activity at the trade deadline last week. In Major League Baseball. But one young guy who's still pitching for the Kansas City Royals, uh, regardless of where he's going to wind up, is always going to have a very unique testimony about his Christian faith somewhere on his uniform. I'll tell you who it is and exactly where he places this religious reminder of his Christian faith. Coming up next, as the bottom line continues Do something productive with your money over the next three years. Invest in Dennis Wilson's real estate backed 6% CD alternative.
1: You know, with the current administration, you've got three things that you can do. You can stay in the market for the next three years and watch your account go up and down and see what happens. Option two is take your money, put it in the money market, hold on to it, and hope that the Fed raises interest rates. Or number three, you can put your money into our exclusive 6% account. You've got your money safe and sound in a hard asset over the next three years. At the end of three years, you evaluate where you want to be. You want to try the market? You go back. You want to put it into a CD? You go back. Or you just want to reinvest for another three years at 6%. But in the interim, you have
0: made 6% for three years instead of zero. Instead of riding the up and down elevator of the market or leaving your money in the bank earning nothing, you can earn 6% over the next three years guaranteed with Wilson Financial Services. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970 for simply better alternatives. Well, welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and, you know, baseball season is still slugging along. And for those of us here in Southern California, it's feast or famine. You have the Dodgers in first place. You have the Padres surging making a huge move with the two big trades at the uh, trading deadline. And the deadline last week wasn't that they can't make trades after the deadline. It's just any player traded before the deadline, which I think was 3 PM Pacific time on August the 2nd, automatically gets on the playoff roster if the teams go to the playoffs. And so the Dodgers and Padres had a big old weekend series, as you note, um, Right after the big trades were made and Soto and Bell and all those guys showed up in Padre uniforms and the Dodgers swept them. <laughs> so, I, you know, head to head, the Dodgers still seem to have the Padres number, but still a lot of baseball left to play. I mean, it's only August 12th, right? Um, and then my Angels are gone. Absolutely gone. And not only gone, but for the diehard Angel fans who are watching, uh, Mike Trout just turned 31 this week. I don't think he's ever going to a playoff game ever again. He's only had three playoff games. He had 12 at-bats. He got one hit. It was a solo home run in Kansas City against the then World Series-appearing American League Championship Kansas City Royals. And then the next year, the Royals won the World Series in 2015. And then they have just completely tanked ever since then. (laughs) Angels need to rebuild. They need to trade Shoei Otani, get as many players as they can. For him and fire their director of scouting and get a new whole minor league operation. That's just my opinion. And none of that will happen until Artie Marino sells the team. But don't get me started. But back to Kansas City for a second. The Royals went to the World Series in 14, they won the World Series in 15, and then they just kind of went into this tailspin, this funk, if you will. And they haven't really been able to work out of it. Well, Um, enter some new players who are making their way to Kansas City, and they just, they were in, they say at the trading deadline, you're either buyers, you're looking to rent a couple of players for the rest of the year to push yourself over the top, or you're sellers, and the Royals were sellers. Uh, They had, uh, uh, what's his name, Andrew Barantini, who got traded to the Yankees, and Whit Merrifield got traded to the Blue Jays. But a trade they made in 2018 is one I want to focus on right now because it involves a guy by the name of Luke Weaver, uh, Luke Weaver was a guy who played college ball, uh, Florida State University. He was drafted by the St. Louis Cardinals as a first-round draft choice in 2014. And four years later, wound up getting traded. He was traded by the Cardinals to the Arizona Diamondbacks, who haven't been going much of anywhere. The Diamondbacks then wound up shipping him off to, um, well, he went on a kind of an interesting journey before he wound up in Kansas City. And one of the things that has been his constant companion, though, is something that uh, it kind of takes the maybe John 316, the Bible verse type of thing along your uh, uh, on your uniform to a whole new level. Remember when Tim Tebow was playing professional football and he had the eye, the little eye black that goes underneath your eye that actually keeps the sun from reflecting off of it. And he had John 316 on those. Well, um, Weaver has been pitching professionally, you know, for eight seasons now. And he, even though he's not necessarily somebody who you might know as a household name, you know, super great player, he is still in the show, as they say, and he shares his faith on the field by um, basically using something that he calls the Bible glove. Now, I mentioned that Weaver was drafted by the Cardinals. They traded him to the Diamondbacks. Um, He was recently traded to Kansas City by the Diamondbacks for infielder Emmanuel Rivera, he was recently interviewed on the Sports Spectrum podcast and he said the glove itself is kind of cool because for openers it has bible passages on it. Uh, Philippians 4:13, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Matthew 19:26, with this man is, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verse 13, which says be on your guard, stand firm and in the faith and be courageous and strong. Now, it's interesting because the, uh, <laughs> this is kind of interesting. The description of the glove, it's made by the Aria Corporation, it says that uh, Luke Weaver says, this is the nicest leather I've ever used. They say, this is a leather-bound Bible with intricate detailing down to the index or spine, gold-lettered His Glory stamping, and verses to keep you motivated during the game, knowing that He, God, is behind you. This is a big league game ready model, uh, game ready model co-designed and used by pro baseball player and former first round draft pick Luke Weaver. That's right. If you look closely at the leather, the leather is designed to look like an old leather bound Bible. What what a cool witness is that? It's it's just, it's a fascinating thing. We'll put the article up. Tamara always does at thebottomlineshow.com you got to take a look at this. Luke Weaver, Kansas City Royals. They may not make it to the playoffs, but they will certainly make an impression when you look at Luke Weaver's glove. Custom made for him and a witness to his faith. With, uh, and now hopefully he doesn't get in some barroom brawl or you know, on the field starts cussing somebody out. I don't think he will. It seems like a pretty decent guy of faith. But we've got that picture and that whole article up at thebottomlineshow.com. As we continue, it's one thing to have convictions and then not act on them. A lot of Christians are kind of coming under fire for living that way right now. But what happens when you are part of the LGBTQ community and you don't necessarily act upon those feelings, but you recognize that those feelings aren't necessarily of God? Uh, Maureen L. Heath is an author. She's a counselor, she's an encourager, and she's the author of a brand new book that tells her personal story It's a little out of the norm when it comes to the LGBTQ experience. A lot of people have that story of how they uh, first made peace with their feelings like this and came out to their family, etc., etc. Maureen didn't do that, but she wrote a book about her experience called Roots Grow Deep, The True Story of How I Grew Up and Out of Unwanted Same-Sex Attraction. We have a link for the book up at TheBottomLineShow.com. Maureen L. Heath's Good News Friday stories coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Well, a special guest is joining me today here on The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and I have so much admiration for people who, you know, in in a world where people are talking about speak your truth and tell Mm -hmm. your story. Oftentimes, when someone tells a story of what we're about to get into in the next half hour here, um, the the world will come rushing and say, well, not that story. I mean, hold on a second. Maureen Heath was in her early teens when she started to experience unwanted same-sex attraction and she didn't know quite what to do with it. And she has a remarkable story of how God walked her through this entire experience. The book is called Roots Grow Deep, the true story of how I grew up and out Of unwanted same-sex attraction by my guest today here on the bottom line show maureen heath it's we've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com maureen heath welcome back to the bottom line show
2: thanks so much for having me rogers it's really really great to be here
0: well i appreciate you i mean it takes a lot of courage first of all to tell the story and then you know it's not like there are a lot of publishers who are out there looking for this type of story so i appreciate the fact that this is something that you've written uh you've published and you're and you're telling the story When did you first realize you mentioned, you know, in the the opening notes, you know, sometime in your teens, can you help us understand what it was like growing up in the household that you grew up in that kind of led to uh, the events that you experienced when you were a teenager?
2: Sure. Um, Yeah. So I didn't have any kind of a a faith background in my home. Um, It was kind of every man for himself, uh, youngest of of five kids. Um, My dad was on the road all the time, driving truck. And when he wasn't driving truck, he was usually parked at a bar drinking. Mm. And uh, so my mom was just kind of left, you know, single handedly um, trying to to raise us five. Sure. And um, I think that that, you know, absentee father figure, um, a mom who was just overstretched and couldn't emotionally connect. And then um, one of my brothers was just his his response to all of that was was really anger and so that uh had to get directed somewhere and it got directed out on me mm. um, yeah and so yeah it was it was difficult then at that point um or after you know years of that to to be able to feel comfortable trusting men
0: mm-hmm. sure I, that makes perfect i mean i i know there's there's never there's not always a quote-unquote logical reason why someone uh, falls mm-hmm. into same-sex attraction mode, but you did describe two of them. First of all, the abandonment by your dad, and then secondly, the abuse at the hands of your brother, uh, and that trust factor. So then yeah. you be, but you call in the book. You describe this as unwanted same-sex attraction talk about how that kind of developed over time because oftentimes we hear in the media when somebody comes out as it were they'll say oh i finally found my true self this is my comfort place etc etc in your case this was not the case You, you 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 call this unwanted same sex attraction
2: yeah i you know all i can all i can figure is that um god really had his hand on me um even before I knew him. And by that, I mean that there was a just undeniable knowing within that, that just was not who I was. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, there's really no other way to explain it. And so um, my logical self rejected um, the feelings, and though the feelings were so very real, my logical self uh, was listening to that voice. And, you know, I just kind of made a decision. I'm like, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to go this route. Um, and nobody needs to know, you know, <laughs>
0: mm-hmm, <laughs> just mm-hmm. keep
2: it to myself, you know? Right, right. Yeah.
0: That's so interesting how you felt felt that need to, as you put it, keep it to yourself. And and I was just having this conversation with another pastor last week about mm-hmm. the whole, what does it matter with regard to sin and that type of stuff because if nobody knows nobody needs to know and so it's not that big a deal now how do you you do a chapter title in your book roots grow deep by maureen Heath: the true story of how i grew up and out of unwanted same-sex attraction Um, an existentialist david bowie and a chicken walk into a bar Um, that has to be the best chapter title of any book i've read this entire year so far (laughs) thank Um,
2: you
0: What in the world do you mean? Because I love David Bowie chicken and well, I won't talk about bars, but uh, but <laughs> and I thought that would then the existentialist too. Was this a, a kind of a foray into uh spirituality for you at that point?
2: Yeah, yeah, really it was. I was um I had always been, I guess, uh curious about God and this this being that I I felt existed. I just didn't know in what capacity or that he was remotely personal um and part of my my journey was well do what everybody else does and start you know digging into the to the psychological to the uh philosophical you know and on down the line and so existentialists were some of the people I was looking at as well um pretty quickly realized that they're just human brains making up stuff (laughs) 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 yeah um so yeah I mean, while I I did uh, I guess relate to or resonate with with some of what they were saying, you know, I, I I think I put a couple of quotes, you know, in in the book that they had said that sort of resonated with me. Um, uh, other than that, I, I just couldn't go beyond the fact that they were human beings, and I was looking for something bigger. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Now, all part of this journey that Maureen Heath writes about in her brand new book called Roots Grow Deep. The True Story of How I Grew Up and Out of Unwanted Same-Sex Attraction. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. I'm Roger Marsh, and we're talking about this today here on The Bottom Line. And knowing that a lot of people are hearing this conversation, and there are parents, there are grandparents who are saying, wow, I, I heard from a woman uh, maybe a year or so ago who whose granddaughter uh, was in, kind of going through a transgender phase and uh, mm-hmm. had decided she went in the military really identified more with the guys, the girls met a woman and she called her grandmother and said, Hey, I'm getting married. And, and oh. basically it was, I'm getting married, but I'm getting married as a guy to a woman. And would you come? Cause nobody else in the family will come. And she says, gosh, what do I do with that? Talk to the person right now, who's listening to our conversation and saying, Oh my goodness, poor Maureen, there was abuse, you know, there was abandonment. There was this kind of spiritual search, but no real spiritual uh, connection here. And then it led you into and out of, and you say you, you grew out of unwanted same sex attraction. What when you first realized you this was your these were your feelings, and mm-hmm. you were starting to ask the question, do I act on them? Who do I talk about? You had mentioned that you figured if I don't tell anybody, then it's not going to hurt anybody. What, t- tell us, take us through those steps as to what was it like. What about your mom? What about your other siblings? Help us understand how your family processed this.
2: Yeah. Wow. That's a a big lot of questions. Um,
0: Pick any (laughs) one.
2: Pick any one. All right. All right. The the decision to not uh, act on those feelings um, and explore any kind of a sexual relationship with, with another woman was largely based on, I have to go with what that voice is inside that's telling me that's not who I am process through almost even even that moment of acknowledgement
0: yeah no but but that that's real though that's raw I mean that that's I think that's good you know to actually have that moment when you think back what was it like to where because everyone has to make that decision and the culture right now says okay well Maureen this is how you feel so this is who you are so you better start talking about it and going to parades and stuff. And you were really wrestling with it. It's not just that easy to find a couple of other gay friends and say, I'm going to come out. I mean, it's, you you really wrestled with this because like you said, you didn't want these feelings.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Having, if I had acted on the feelings, I kind of felt like I wasn't, I wouldn't be true to who I really was even though I wasn't quite sure who I really was, you know what I mean? Interesting. Yeah. But sexuality wise, um, I just knew, I just knew that's, that's not me. The interesting thing um, about the um, this whole thing is that my, my older brother, uh, he had struggled with feelings and, but he ended up actually um, seeking out relationships and mm. is, is currently today uh, still, still living as a homosexual man. Um, that played into it too. And, um, with that wrestling of do I even tell my parents, you know, um, because wow, <laughs> you know, they may be thinking, yeah, yeah. what did we do? Where did we go wrong? You know? Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to put that on on them either. Um, um they they weren't believers, but still there that's just a lot. That's just mm-hmm. a lot for mm-hmm. parents that wow, two out of five kids, you know, are feeling like this. What's what's going on? Um, but yeah, it's just, I just keep coming back to that, that still small voice inside. No, don't, don't do it. Um, when I finally did come around to uh, putting my faith in Christ when I was uh day after my 20th birthday, um, that's when God started to nudge me to start to talk about it so that I'm not isolating, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. With this, with the struggle, get it out of my head, you know, right.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> out yeah.
2: there where I can see it, you know, with some perspective.
0: Well, yeah. that's a well, that's a perfect place for us to take a break because you've given us a nice little cliffhanger talking about how uh, your faith in Christ comes into the picture and what that did uh, for your testimony, what it did for how you process the feelings and why you've titled the book the way you have. Maureen Heath is my guest today here on the Bottom Line. The book is called Roots Grow Deep. The True Story of How I Grew Up and Out of Unwanted Same-Sex Attraction. We have a link for the book up at TheBottomLineShow.com. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Maureen Heath is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsher. Powerful biography, autobiography, I should say. Roots Grow Deep, The True Story of How I Grew Up and Out of Unwanted Same-Sex Attraction is up at TheBottomLineShow.com. Maureen, where do we find you online? Before we go any further, I want to make sure that we give that publicity as well.
2: Sure. Um, you can find me on Facebook and um, on, at my email, run at gmail.com.
0: Love it. Love and it. Mo
2: has an E, so it doesn't look like c <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it. Hey, before the break, we were talking about the fact that you uh, grew up in a home that where there was a certain level of abuse in terms of your dad being absent and somewhat neglectful. You had a brother who was somewhat abusive, and you found yourself coming of age and having um, unwanted same-sex attraction and the day before your 20th birthday having not grown up in a christian home god steps into the picture and you begin to realize that this still small voice that's been uh, guiding you and encouraging you helping you navigate these unwanted feelings may Mm -hmm. actually have a name talk about that
2: yeah that guy's name's jesus
0: amen (laughs) amen yes Um, how how did you know it was him i know it was him yeah. yeah
2: It, it, uh, it kind of matched the voice I was hearing all along, honestly, that voice of truth telling me that's not who you are, you know, mm-hmm. and just guiding me down um, the smarter roads, I guess, away from uh, outwardly sinful mm-hmm. lifestyle activities. Um, and, and, you know, it wasn't a big uh, flash of lightning and thunder rolls, you know, when I prayed the prayer, but it was, um, it was peace. It was peace that I had, I had never known. Um, And I just, you know, I knew, yep, that's, that's him. That's the guy. That's Jesus. Um, Yeah. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. (laughs) That still small voice speaks and you do recognize, you begin to realize that as you were looking for, and you mentioned in our first segment, the number of existentialists and other, you know, people who talk like they knew something deeper, but were actually just people with opinions. After a while, you begin. It, it's how interesting how, when the Holy Spirit takes hold of your heart and mm-hmm. gives you the gift of faith, so you could receive the gift of salvation, then you hear that still small voice and go, "Well, yeah, I know who you are." You know, what I mean, that makes it makes it's almost like you've got a translator in your ear, and now it doesn't matter whatever language anyone's speaking, <laughs> they're speaking your language, and so that's yeah. wonderful. So, what what was it? What were those initial feelings? I mean, we hear so often from people in the LGBTQ community who say, "Once I came out, my whole life got exponentially better." Once you met Jesus Christ, what then happened with your same-sex attractions?
2: It got more real.
0: <laughs> mm, interesting. All of
2: all of the shoving it away I had mm-hmm. been doing, um, um, it it kind of it really rose to the surface, and I think that was a twofold reason. I think that um, part of it was um, the enemy of my soul, Satan, trying to uh, mm-hmm. convince me that I was not a child of God, I was not a daughter of God, and I was. Saved and forgiven and seen as righteous, um, but that I was still a mess of a little girl, you know, and I needed to be affirmed by a woman. Um, that was that was one aspect of it. Um, the other was it was rising up. I believe also because God wanted me to deal with it, um, all of the um, the roots, so to speak, of of what contributed things and and that meant that coming out of isolation piece I mentioned earlier uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, that meant just getting really honest with what had happened to me in my life um, there was uh you know the, the familial pieces that were difficult and then there was also um a a same-sex molestation uh-huh. when I was a child just uh-huh. um, five years old and uh, that definitely contributed you know to the whole picture sure um, So, so beginning to, to deal with those, um, getting them out of my head also out to where I could see, you know, with some perspective and talking with people, talking with counselors and so on and so forth. And then just really, um, um, getting them from my head down to my heart where I could connect with my emotions and, um, begin to, to feel the realness of it all grieve that, um, that pain. And let it process back to where it's supposed to go into your brain, you know, mm-hmm, processed mm-hmm. emotions. Um right. and so those were huge bits and pieces of it. But um I, I mean, okay, so I'm gonna say there's three things. So then we come to a point of what does Jesus say in his word about my identity, who I am. And the more that I was engaging with the truth of scripture. I was noticing that these feelings weren't they were fleeting a Mm -hmm. and that they weren't real. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, they, Mm -hmm. they felt real as, as I had said, but but I, I, it was like, I realized, Oh, now I, now I get what's happening. Um, this is, this is a big lie. It's like somebody has been yapping in my ear with lies for lots of years. Mm -hmm. And, and again, I attribute that to, uh, to Satan. I'm um, just wanting to destroy my life. right? right. And um, yeah, so the more truth that I got in there, the more I um, engaged with my emotions within a healthy community of people, of believers, um, That that's what was doing it. That's what was doing it.
0: And Ma- Maureen Heath is my guest <laughs> today here on The Bottom Line. She writes about her fascinating story in the book called Roots Grow Deep. The True Story of How I Grew Up and Out of Unwanted Same-Sex Attraction. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. I'm curious about the church community that you found, Maureen, because I, I, I'm good friends with Bruce Sonnenberg with the uh, ministry He Intends Victory. And I remember back when HIV was a big deal in the you know same-sex yeah. community and it was first happening, These there were a group of uh, four or five guys who were HIV positive who went to a major church here in Southern California. And when the church leadership found out that they were HIV positive, they were kicked out because they were afraid, you know, at that point, you know, well, you might give it to somebody else. And so Mm -hmm. Bruce wound up leaving his church ministry full-time and starting uh, HIV because these people needed a place to worship and welcome. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, I, I realized that he said one of the great things for him was being a place where they could be open and honest about where they'd been what they'd done and now how christ had delivered them what was yeah. the church community response like to you when or were you in a big hurry to tell them oh and by the way i have unwanted same-sex attraction or did you kind of save keep that powder dry for a while
2: i kept that kind of dry for a while what i what i did was i i sought help through an organization called portland fellowship mm-hmm. and we used a curriculum called taking background um and it was a two-year program um and that being in that mix of people and that that uh like i was saying that just honest community seeking a wholeness and freedom um that brought me to a point where once i knew that um these feelings weren't real you know um about my identity and I, and I understood for myself the roots, the root causes of what was going on with me. Then I was willing to, um, to actually, I got up before my church, um, which was Sunset Presbyterian here in Portland, um, and uh, I shared my testimony, and I received um, a standing ovation. Oh,
0: that's beautiful. Which
2: was, oh, man.
0: I love it.
2: Yeah, yeah, and so um, I, I have personally no gripes about how my experience went with with sharing those struggles, mm-hmm. um, and I and I know it served to to encourage some other people as
0: well. Amen. Maureen, tell, we've got a couple minutes left in our time together. Talk about how God is using your ministry and your testimony today in the different expressions of the way you've, now that you've accepted the truth, and I, I love the title mm-hmm. you have for the one chapter, Feelings Maketh Not the Truth, once you learned how to kind of separate the feelings from the realities. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what kind of ministries does God have you in besides uh, the, the ministry of just sharing your story about unwanted same-sex attraction?
2: Yeah, well, um, he... I well, I figured out that he created me to be an artist, um, oh, not just nice. in writing but in, in visual art, sculpting and painting, and whatever I get my hands on. Mm-hmm. And I've been using that to help people connect with their um, well, any trauma that they've experienced. Um, it's just a safe. Uh, way to express um, the emotions that they're feeling but have no words to articulate and it makes it safe that way and then it gives me an opportunity to talk through those feelings with them based on what they've created and then to it's just a bridge builder uh, to gain trust with that person and and share the love of Christ with them through that and then if they're ready the gospel
0: you know Mm, I love it I love it thank you yeah well you you spend time Meeting what the need, need is first and foremost, that mm-hmm. proverbial cup of cold water in Jesus name. And then yeah. when they're ready, you know, the, the seed gets planted. Uh, Maureen Heath, what a great testimony <laughs> that you have. What a wonderful resource that you have produced. And I love the cover art, too. I take it that's your work.
2: Uh, borrowed- yes, ish. I <laughs> borrow.
0: <laughs> that's a great <laughs> word. I'm borrowing that and I'm going to use it. Give you full <laughs> credit for that. Yes, ish. I love that. <laughs> Uh,
2: i uh yeah i borrowed the uh, the tree illustration it, it had a glob of soil where the roots were so my graphic design artist friend pulled that away but i did uh-huh. choose the cut background color
0: yeah i love it i know, love right? it the book is called roots grow deep we didn't ask why you came up with that title Let me take the final moments here and tell us
2: it, it really it kind of came to me last minute um because i was just reflecting on um the, the roots of my family tree all the the history of mm-hmm. of our family that had been passed down the generations and how that affected me um and so does that mean you know the roots and the whole yeah
0: <laughs> absolutely and they affect us all roots grow deep the true story of how i grew up and out of unwanted same-sex attraction by maureen l heath We've got a link to the book up at TheBottomLineShow.com. Maureen, it's been a delight to get to know you, God's richest blessings to you as your ministry continues now as you share this amazing story. And thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line.
2: Thank you so much, Roger. It's just been a pleasure. I appreciate what you're doing and God bless you. Well,
0: I appreciate her candor uh, in sharing this story. And I'm really grateful that we had a chance to get to know Maureen Heath today here on The Bottom Line. Maureen L. Heath, as she is billed on her brand new book called Roots Grow Deep. The true story of how I grew up and out of unwanted same sex attraction. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. I encourage you, this is a book that she's published on her own. Um, It's not got any sort of big backing behind it, and I don't make a dime off of selling it. But if you know somebody who is struggling with unwanted same sex attraction, all the counselors that I talk to, Joe Dallas, Ann Paul, people like that, Stephen Black, not one of them will say, if you have a relative who is gay, send them to us and we'll change them. Never, I don't believe that's a pro-life or even a pro-biblical position. Because in the same way that God just doesn't have us walk around and spraying people with holy water and saying, now you're baptized. But for the person in your world who is struggling with unwanted same-sex attraction, has those desires, acknowledges them for whatever reason they have them, and they don't want them. This is a great testimony and a great book. As a matter of fact, we've got a couple copies to give away right now. Teresa standing by at 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, Maureen L. Heath's book called Roots Grow Deep. The True Story of How I Grew Up and Out of Unwanted Same-Sex Attraction. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 800-227-5278 that's the number to get you through to the bottom line my thanks again to maureen heath the author of the book roots grow deep uh, my journey up and out of unwanted same how i grew up and out of unwanted same-sex attraction A link for the book at the bottom line, show.com and if you know someone who is dealing with same-sex attraction and they don't want to be dealing with same-sex attraction this is an outstanding book for them 800 227 5278. We've got a couple of copies to give away here. Teresa standing by to get to get your information and take your call. 800 227 5278. 800 227 5278. 800 227 5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. We've been on the air here now for almost 11 years. As a matter of fact, next month on Monday, September 19th, and I'm, I'm kind of a nut stickler for dates, but. Monday, September 19th, 2011 was the day we went on the air, and Monday, September 19th, 2022, we'll celebrate our 11th anniversary. At the time that we started this program, the number of people, the, gal, uh, the census had just taken their 2010 census, and in that census, it was the first time they ever asked the question, are you lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender? Uh, didn't get into the Q and the I and the bi-non-binary and stuff like that. and. Gay activists were horrified to find out that the number of people in the U.S. who identified that way was 2.5%. Fast forward to a recent Gallup poll that was published, I believe, in the New York Times not too long ago, asking the same question. Do you identify as one of these different categories? And the answer was eye-opening. It was 7.1%. Now, many people would look at that and say, okay, well, that's still relatively small. And this I take that back. This is a, uh, it's a Gallup poll, back from February of earlier this year. The LGBT identification is up to 7.1%. That's up from 5.6 just two years earlier. One in five Generation Z adults identify as LGBT uh, in that community. And the most popular is people who are bisexual. Now what's interesting about this is it doesn't necessarily mean that there's tons of gay people in the culture. What it means is a lot of people in Generation Z especially identify that way, even if they don't live that way. That identification is huge, and and Maureen Heath knows what it's all about. She felt that way, but did not act upon her feelings, and her faith in Christ helped her through. God led her through this challenging time. There are a lot of people who are thinking a certain way, maybe even feeling a certain way, but they aren't necessarily acting. A certain way i think it's crucial for us in the body of christ to understand that if we're going to have meaningful interaction especially with the younger generation that's slipping further and further away from the kingdom of god but it's something that we in the body of christ can be mindful of and use that as our uh, as our uh, kind of our go-to if you will to uh, preach the gospel to go into all the world and preach the gospel as if we were missionaries. Only the mission field right now is our own United States of America. And that's the bottom line on that. Hey, for those who are staying with us on the network, a fascinating Good News Friday story coming up next as the bottom line continues. Good news, good news, good news. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show if you have been listening for the first hour. Uh, welcome to The Bottom Line Show, if you're just tuning in. And uh, it's Good News Friday. Uh, we're still taking calls at 800-227-5278, the powerful new book by author Maureen L. Heath. Uh, she wrote a book called Roots Grow Deep, the true story of how I grew up and out of unwanted same-sex attraction. We'll be taking your calls for another 10 minutes or so at 800-227-5278. And we have three copies of the book to give away. If you or someone you know is wrestling with unwanted same-sex attraction, if you, uh, this is a great resource for you. If you, as a, a professing Christian, say I do identify and I don't mind these attractions, then that's a whole separate conversation. Please know that our heart here at the bottom line shows that everybody be saved. That's first and foremost, and we believe in preaching the gospel using words if necessary, using statistics. God, God's used astronomy. He's used finance. He's used all sorts of different ways to bring people to himself. So I don't want to limit anything. When people ask, what do you do for a living? I'm a talk show host. I'm an ordained minister. Um, we do what we do. Well, how do you describe your program? And um, I'll say, hey, you know, here's what we're here for. We're here to preach the gospel. We're here to get to the bottom line of what the really important issues in life are and then to talk about them from the lens of Scripture, a biblical worldview. Now, ultimately, the most important issue in all of life is who is Jesus Christ to you? Bar none. That's the question we've all had to ask and answer. And it's interesting, I think, about my own faith journey. I grew up in the church. doesn't make me a Christian. It's like Max Licato uh, says, just because you've put your socks in the oven, it doesn't make them biscuits. I mean, you, you, can't, you can't look at your participation in church and say that means i have a vibrant and active faith when i was 11 years old well, while i was two i was baptized when i was 11 and granted my dad was a choir director i was in church every sunday when i was 11 i made a profession of faith that i was a christian i used to wear this was in the early 1970s so there was lots of jesus junk in terms of like you know people would take like the coca-cola logo and instead of writing Coca-Cola, they'd write Jesus in that cursive, you know, and then you'd it say, he's the real thing. You know, that, that's a, I wore that stuff to school. I mean, I, I like that kind of stuff. I wanted people to know I was a church-going kid. And because I was born in America and went to church and didn't take drugs or drink, I uh, wasn't going to have my way with some young lady. I mean, I was a good Christian. That's what I, as much as I understood. Reading the Bible, yeah, I went to youth group, went to a couple of camps, you know, yeah. You know. It wasn't until my first year of college when almost all of my friends from high school are the people I used to hang out with. Because I realized after I got out of high school, I didn't have a lot of friends. I thought we used to hang out a lot together, but I I thought we were good friends. In reconnecting with some of these guys in our later years, I realized, wow, I think I might have been a better friend to you than you were to me. And that's, you know, in God's economy, that's okay. But it wasn't until my first year of college that I tried to really put my faith in action. Am I going to keep going to church? Am I going to keep reading scripture? Am I going to keep you know, doing these things that we do devotionally each and every day? And I stayed in church. I went to community college. I worked part time. I tried to do the party circuit, and I was really bad at it. That didn't last very long. But it wasn't until the end of that summer, my first year in college, that um, a guy that I had known from in middle school, he and his brother were fraternal twins, And uh, I used to hang out at their house so much that their mom used to call me the third twin, okay? And when their dad, who looked like, their parents were (laughs) gray-haired, they they were the bonus babies. They had four older siblings and then they showed up. So they had a sister, I think their youngest, the youngest closest sister to them was about 10 years older than them. They were definitely, whoops. And even though they weren't a whole lot older, they looked a lot older and they were definitely a different generation their dad got a call to pastor a church in West Chicago. And so right after doing uh, middle school in Tustin, they did high school in uh, Illinois. And then one day I'm at church, it's a Sunday afternoon, I mean, we had 11 o'clock service, and I'm out on the patio and I see the young one of the the two twins, Tom, it was Tim and Tom. And uh, Tom shows up, and he goes, hey man, I said, Tom, oh my gosh, I haven't seen you since eighth grade, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. We didn't hug back then. That's not what you did. And then he looked at me and he goes, hey, I'm just got. Well, i out here this summer. I'm going to spend some time with my sister. He goes, so I'm going to get a real estate license. I said, really? <laughs> that was kind of wild. You're 18 years old. You want to sell real estate in California, whatever. And so then um, he asked me a question. He looked at me and he goes, hey, what time is uh, college group? Now, he didn't know, since he hadn't been here, that I had not darkened the doorway of the college Bible study since I graduated from high school. I had no interest in this whatsoever but I looked at him I said six o'clock we had a little cabin our property had a little lake next to it said cabin on the lake he goes great I'll see you there and so I thought oh man now I got to go to bible study (laughs) what 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 is that all about I'm about to turn 19 I'm my old man I go to university I've been so what did I do well out of loyalty to my buddy and the fact that he kind of called me on well I guess I should be going I went So I showed up six o'clock Sunday night. And guess what? No Tom. But something happened that night. We had the regular Bible study. I don't know what we were even talking about at the Bible study. But I know at the end, we all circled up. We were all holding hands. And my youth pastor was standing right across from me in that circle. And he looked at me and he said, okay, I'm going to start. And he said, Roger, I want you to close us in prayer. And I said, okay. And so everybody else prayed for their stuff, you know, job, this, school, that, girlfriend, boyfriend, you know, the usual college group, high school group stuff. And then I could tell by the pregnant pause in the room that it was my turn to pray. And so I was going to wrap up everything, you know, the way you do at the end of the prayer, you know, give us a good week, et cetera, et cetera. But instead God spoke through me and he said these words, he said, I prayed, Lord, when I was younger, I prayed to receive you as my Lord and savior. But i did that on my terms tonight i want to be yours on your terms and there was this kind of electricity in the room you know i could feel it everybody holding hands it was just it was amazing and i thought all right this is real this is really happening this is my real profession of faith for the next year my life was a mess <laughs> It was is absolute shambles i had issues with money and relationships and whatever i was working myself too much i was doing horribly in school it was really bad but it was like god said okay now that I have your attention, do you really want to do it my way? And on May the 1st of 1981, that's when I said, all right, I, I, I said I wanted to do this your way and I've been fighting it for nine months. Now let's do this your way. And it's been so sweet and so remarkable ever since. And I'm, I am so eternally blessed to be able to share that story with you today to share that, that, what the good news is. We talk about Good News Friday here on the Bottom Line Show all the time and the reality is the fact that we you know we talk about it a lot but the good news is that the gospel the good news that you're a sinner that i'm a sinner we were born into a sinful fallen world we can't free ourselves we've sinned against god in thought word and deed by things we do and things we don't do but because god loves us and because he is gracious and merciful and kind He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty for our sin the only way any of us could ever do, and that's to give our entire lives over to him. But Jesus' death pays the penalty for your sin and my sin. Jesus' death wipes that record clean. You've now been justified by Christ in front of God. Justified, and the way you can remember the definition of this word is, just as if I had never sinned. And that's the witness we take to the world. And that's the true good news that we share. And if you are hearing this conversation right now and God is speaking to you, will you drop me a line and let me know? I would love to pray with you. I'd love to talk with you about it. You can just, you can uh, actually the best way is to write me, Roger, at thebottomlineshow.com. And let's start a dialogue about it. Now, I realize that not everybody who hears this is gonna have that same reaction because the Holy Spirit gives the gift of faith uh, when he does and the way he does what is it the old expression God loves us all equally but not the same and I realize that if you are a person of prayer a person of faith right now hearing that hopefully maybe that revitalized your spirit it's a great reminder of the work that we have yet to do and yet to be done in the culture but I'm praying as we get more and more challenges to our faith that more and more people will step up And say, hey, wait a minute, that's not right. And I'm going to do this next action, whatever it's going to be, not because my rights are impinged or infringed upon, but rather because we believe this is the right thing to do. And toward that end, I've got a Good News Friday story on the other side of this break involving a Christian school that actually wound up going to court and suing the Biden administration, as well as other local governments in a state where we've seen a lot of really good godly leadership up to this point. But the reality is the school is doing some work that actually qualifies it for some federal assistance in helping provide school lunches for low-income students. But they're at risk of losing that funding simply because of who they are as Christians. I'm going to dig into this story a little bit and uh, give you an update coming up next as the bottom line continues. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Good News Friday story coming out of Florida. And the good news, I'm not a big champion on taking people to court. I mean, scripture tells us that for Christians, if we have a matter matter to deal with with our brothers and sisters in Christ, the last thing we want to do is take it before an ungodly judge in a secular court. Do everything you can to, to settle out of court and be wronged if need be. Now, you hear me talking about Stephanie Cover with Kover Law, personal injury attorney par excellence here in Southern California. If you have a case where you are being sued or your insurance company, this is where people say, oh, I would never take, you know, go to court on a personal injury case. Well, here's the deal. The personal injury case isn't about you. It's about your insurance company and the other guy's insurance company and what they're doing to settle up. And you've heard Stephanie share story after story after story after story of insurance companies that are really ripping off their customers they just want to get the case settled pay as little as they have to and then move on well there's a christian grade school in tampa florida that is part of a uh, is part of a school lunch program and they are going to court and the reason they're doing so is because the work that they're doing is being hindered because of policies coming from the white house here's the story at grant park christian academy there are 56 students. And this past fall, all of the, oh, take that back, incoming for this fall, so it's the 2022-23 school year. I not to get that straight. All 56 kids come from families that live below the federal poverty line. So the school is applying for funding for their school lunch program because, well, the kids qualify for it. And again, the sidebar, I'm not really big on the government doing social programs. Really don't like it. They, I don't think they run them efficiently. And if you work for a government-sponsored uh, you know, social program, this is not in any way to demean you, but rather to say, look, this is an area where I believe the church should be stepping up and taking the lead, whether it's adoption or the sanctity of human life or foster care or school lunch programs, whatever it is. I would love to see the church take a larger role in this and not be so reliant on the government because governments, by and large, don't think, don't feel, they aren't kind. (laughs) They just, here's a bunch of money and we're going to throw it at this big problem and hopefully some of it's going to work. Okay, having said that, all 56 students who are enrolled in Grant Park Christian Academy this fall in Florida basically qualify for the school lunch program because all of their families are living below the federal poverty line. And apparently, they're, uh, they've got some kind of scholarship or some kind of way for the kids to attend. But here's an interesting tidbit. Um, quite frankly, it looks like the uh, Florida Agricultural Commissioner, Nikki Freed, is already ready to reject the request for the school lunch funding. Why, you ask? It's because the current administration has updated Title IX definitions to include sexual orientation and gender identity in their definition of, quote-unquote, sex. Now, it's so interesting how the people who want everyone to believe to trust the science when it comes to COVID are willing to let 8- and 9-year-olds decide what their gender identity is with no evaluation from any sort of medical professional whatsoever. Title IX, which says you cannot discriminate based on sexual, you know, your, your gender, basically, uh, now has been expanded by the Biden administration to include sexual orientation. The definition of sex says whatever you think. The Department of Education said when they did this, these regulations will strengthen protections for the LGBTQI students who face discrimination based on sexual orientation or gender identity. And the implication here is they're not going to get lunch at the school lunch program because the school is biased against them. Now, remember the statistic that I shared with you in the last half hour. We're talking about Maureen Heath's book. The percentage of Americans who identify as LGBTQ EIEIO Oh, that's AIO+. Plus. Um, is 7.1% of the population, including one out of every five members of Generation Z, which conceivably just misses the Grant Park Christian Academy Elementary program. But try this one on for size. Of the Generation Z respondents to a recent Gallup poll who identified as lesbian, gay, or trans, or bisexual, the vast majority of them were females who said they had compassion for people who are in the LGBTQ community. Therefore, they identify as. In other words, they're not. But look at what happens to the school here. Here's a Christian school. Pastor Alfred Johnson is the president of Faith Action Ministry Alliance, which is the parent organization of Grant Park Christian Academy. And Pastor Johnson said, look, the changes in Title IX are keeping our school from functioning the way it should because it's preventing the students who qualify from getting meals like breakfast and lunch and their healthy snacks during the course of the day, simply because the school will not say, okay, if that's the definition for, uh, get, if we have to agree in this transgender ideology... In the LGBTQ ideology to qualify for the federal lunch program, then we're not going to get the funding. Now, you might say, okay, well, they're a church, so what? Ask people to make donations. And, and they could very easily do it. But herein lies the rub. Remember that render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, render to God the things that are God's. And I'm always on us as a congregation here to make sure you're registered to vote and that you vote. That's one of the things that you render to Caesar. Because that belongs to Caesar, your vote. I mean, in all honesty, uh, what God's going to give us the, the, the elected officials that we are going to get, whether we vote for them or not. So the vote is really more a reflection of your faith, not, hey, God, if we could get 10,000 more people over in California to vote a certain way, are we doing your will? But when it comes to the school lunch program, will Grant uh, Park Academy be able to continue without the program? Sure, they will that's not the issue. The issue is, are they entitled to qualify to receive the funding that will help pay for the school lunch program? And the answer is yes, they are. So they contacted Alliance Defending Freedom. And Alliance Defending Freedom lawyer Erica Steinmiller-Pedermo gave an interview to Fox News Digital and said, look, what's happening here, is here's why we're filing the suit. We're filing it to make sure that kids are fed when school starts in two weeks, that the school can abide by its Christian convictions while feeding the kids from low-income families. But we're trying to do so in spite of the fact that the Biden administration is trying to radically redefine sex in Title IX in a way that will threaten to take lunch money away from the school. It's so interesting to see. And this is something, quite frankly, President 46 is doing because he watched President 44 do it. 1946, 46 was vice president. Remember all the transgender bathroom issues from 10 years ago or so? All of those requirements for schools were tied into school lunch funding. So they were guidelines, quote unquote. It didn't necessarily mean it was the law. It didn't necessarily mean you had to comply. But if you did not follow the guidelines for Title IX, you weren't going to get your full funding for your school lunch programs. So basically, the school has taken... To the legal route. And they said basically, here's what they're asking. They're simply asking in their lawsuit, they're asking the administration to reverse the changes to Title IX. She said there are already religious exemptions written into Title IX that ensure that they can receive federal funding and feed hungry kids in school. So the question about them agreeing to the Title IX stuff isn't so much about whether or not they're going to get the money. They're saying we want the administration to comply with the law give us the exemption when we know that the florida state agriculture commissioner is not going to uphold the law so here's the prayer and i commend the school for taking this stance that uh, grant park christian academy would be able to continue to live out its biblical values and receive the exemption from title ix so they could keep the funding going But ultimately, I think that I love the fact that they're swinging for the fences on this one. We're saying not only do we want the exemption in the short term to make sure that we get the funding for our school lunch program, but we also want the wording reverting back to the way God intended it in the long run. And how refreshing is that? I think that is good news and it's certainly well worth our celebrating. So we'll put this article up at thebottomlineshow.com and give you a chance to do just that celebrate as we continue one final story more government money at stake here this time though it's government money that will not actually be distributed and the reason is well what happens if there's a state in the southeast that actually has a ban on abortion and city officials don't want to follow along with the ban we'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues By investing in the Wilson Financial Services 4D or four-dimensional account, your investment is guaranteed against loss. It provides long-term care benefits, permanent income benefits, and inflation benefits all at the same time. You know, I had a client
1: come in this morning, and the
0: first thing he asked me was,
1: tell me about 4D money. I said, you've got an account right now that's one-dimensional. It's paying you 6% for the next three years. And that's the one dimension it has. I said, 4D money has four dimensions. It'll pay you 4 to 6% a year, but it has three additional dimensions. Number one, it'll provide you with long-term care benefits. Number two, it'll provide you with permanent income benefits. And number three, it'll provide you with inflation benefits, all under the heading of 4D money. So when I explain these things to people, they say, well, you know, that sounds too good to be true. I said, I know, but we have got millions and millions of dollars of clients' money in these accounts, and it's in black and white. It's true.
0: Ask Dennis Wilson and his team at Wilson Financial Services to explain the four dimensions of their 4D account. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970 for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Another good news story involving the government. Doesn't, not every day you hear good news of the government in the same sentence, but the uh, uh, in Florida, the uh, Grant Christian Academy uh, going to court and basically asking the federal government to do their job with Title IX funding and make sure that their school gets their, first of all, the religious exemption for the school lunch program so that they can uh, get the funding that they need for those, the entire student body is below the poverty level. But secondly, then, not only just the exemption, but to change the wording of Title IX back to its original wording that talks about not discriminating against any American based on their gender, not gender identity. It's a huge distinction. Um, Interestingly enough, there's another legal challenge that's giving us some good news for celebration. And it's coming from the Bayou region, the great state of Louisiana. Louisiana is one of several states that basically had a law in place. Remember all those years, Roe versus Wade was the law. They had anti-abortion laws in place ready to go that the moment the U.S. Supreme Court would ever overturn Roe versus Wade, the trigger law would take effect. The trigger law itself will ban nearly every abortion in louisiana and all the states that are quote unquote going abortion free most of them have a, prov- a provision for the exception of rape child conceived in rape child conceived in incest or if the mother's health is at risk and if you've heard dr ingrid Skop from the charlotte lozier institute if you haven't heard that interview i had with her a couple weeks ago go back to the bottomline show.com go to my help now Listen and watch that interview when she talks about the fact, medically and statistically, that 97% of abortions do not fit that category. Maybe 3% do. Okay, here's the deal. Louisiana's Bond Commission recently agreed to withhold a line of credit from Sewage and Water Board New Orleans after city officials refused to enforce the state's abortion ban. According to WWLTV last week, the commission voted 12 to 2 to withhold the line of credit, which was supposed to go toward the agency's new power plant. But officials who refused to enforce the abortion ban, the city's mayor, the police chief, the district attorney and the sheriff basically says, you know, here's what's going on. They need to improve their system. They're in the middle of another above-average hurricane season. The whole city needs its sewage and waterboard system performing at peak in order to provide vital assets, businesses, and residents from flooding. Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Landry said that he will ensure that the new law is in fact obeyed. And so, a $39 million line of credit for the Sewage and, sewerage and Water Board of New Orleans is on hold right now, Because the city officials, talking about the mayor, talking about the police chief, the mayor, uh, LaToya Cantrell, said, it is disappointing and appalling that the Louisiana Bond Commission decided to halt funding for one of the most vital and valuable infrastructure projects, despite the fact that the right to an abortion remains legal statewide. Well, maybe it does, but this trigger law took effect as soon as abortion ban was lifted, which kind of gives me the impression that maybe it's not going to stay legal in Louisiana. But here's the rally, the, the situation, the same types of laws that have been used against the pro-life community for years are now showing up and burning people in the pro-abortion community. And the fact that here's the state of Louisiana saying $39 million line of credit for sewerage and, and sanitation, nope, we're going to hold on to that until you start towing the line when it comes to abortion. This is the kind of law that actually does make sense, unlike the White House's nonsensical guidelines for whether or not a school lunch program should be adhered to by a Christian school, but only after they celebrate the LGBTQ community. These are two examples of biblical values being upheld in the public square and fought for by people of faith and determination and distinction, and I pray that they would continue to hold their ground. We know ultimately the judge and jury is Jesus Christ and his law, usurps any other law of our land. But until he returns, we live in this dual kingdom. And may God's work on earth continue to be done here as it is in heaven. And that's the bottom line.